Hello, my name is Wang Yan, and I am a reporter with News China. With our weekly News China podcast, we aim to give insight into the trends and happenings in modern China through a historical lens. Today, we'll discuss astronomy in ancient China from both science and humanity perspectives. In 2020, while grappling with the COVID-19 pandemic on Earth, humans have made several landmark steps in space. On July 31, China announced the completion of its Beidou satellite navigation system. It provides navigation, positioning, and timing services for global users. On August 3, Crew Dragon, a spacecraft developed by SpaceX, Returned to Earth after a three-month mission to send two NASA astronauts to the International Space Station. Beidou refers to the seven stars of the Earth's major constellation, which is known as the Big Dipper in the U.S. and the Plow in the U.K. Ancient Chinese people believed the change in the stars' positions tells us direction and time. The concept is still very familiar to Chinese people today. It shows the long tradition of astronomy as a science in China. At the end of August, Chinese couples celebrated Chinese Valentine's Day, known as Qixi, which falls on July 7, according to the lunar calendar. The festival originated from a love story in ancient China. A weaver girl in heaven called Zhinyu falls in love with a cowherd on earth, called Niulang. But love between a goddess and a human breaches the rules of heaven. They are separated by a river created by the heavenly queen, and can only meet once a year on the seventh day of the seventh lunar month. The story is actually the way ancient Chinese people imagined. The relationship between Altair and Vega, two stars at the two ends of the Milky Way, it represents the humanity that ancient Chinese people projected onto astronomy. China's long history of astronomy and science, alongside humanity, is two sides of the same coin. China had a lot of world firsts in astronomy. To name just a few, the world's first book on astronomy between the fifth and third century BCE, and the world's first record of sunspots in the third century BCE, and of Halley's comet in the first century BCE. The first complete star map that still exists today was carved on a stone in 1247. It was based on the observations of astronomers. Two hundred years earlier, the stone is kept in the Suzhou Museum of inscribed stone tablets. For a long time, ancient astronomy in China was regarded as being an extension of the astronomy of the Babylonian civilization about four thousand years ago. But archaeological discoveries later show that China. Had developed its own astronomy around 4,500 years ago.
It means that China is one of the world's first civilizations to have practiced astronomy. However, it is too parochial a perspective if we assess China's ancient astronomy by counting its world's first records or by the modern concept of astronomy. It is a more worthwhile to explore the philosophy behind China's ancient astronomy. While observations of the nature in the sky and on the earth knows changes of seasons, education of people improves the ethics of the public. This idea is expressed in a Confucianism canon Zhou Yi, the Book of Changes. It refers to the combination of practicality and humanity in ancient astronomy in China. The most important application of astronomy in ancient China was on calendar making. China created a highly developed calendar making system as early as the 11th century BCE. It combined the cycles of the Earth's rotation around the Sun and the Moon's trip around the Earth. It was a more complicated and precise calculation methodology than the methodology based on only the movement of the Earth or the Moon. This way of calendar making was not seen outside China until the emergence of the Islamic calendar in the 7th century. All this could not have been possible without sophisticated research into astronomy. For example, Kuo Shoujing, a famous scientist in the 13th century during China's Yuan Dynasty, traveled from the south to the north of the country to do astronomic surveys to make a new calendar. Its length of a solar year is the same as that of today's Gregorian calendar, which was introduced in 1582. Now a lunar crater and a planet are named after him. However, astronomy in ancient China was never just a technical issue. The interpretation of astronomical phenomena were always very political. When good phenomena happened, for example, colorful clouds, officials praised the virtues of their emperors or congratulated their emperors on the dynasty's good luck. They could enjoy promotion or rewards for their flattery. When bad phenomena happened, for example, bad weather, officials warned emperors of dangers or suggested they should look at whether they had acted wrongly, as warnings from the heavens were thought to be connected to bad decisions or misconducts by emperors. The officials did this at the risk of their careers or even lives. Ordinary people were not allowed to talk about the political implications of astronomical phenomena. Asian Chinese astronomers also put forward theories on the origin, structure, and the materials of the universe. For example, one of the theorists said the sky was half round like an umbrella above the square earth. Another contended that the universe was round like a ball and the earth innate was like a yolk in an egg. But written records of these theories did not provide details about how the conclusions were made. 
It is reasonable to say that these questions about the universe were under-researched in astronomy in ancient China. This is because this area has little to do with the human dimension of astronomy. By contrast, it was much easier to link specific technical issues with political implications. A new calendar was often released by a new dynasty. It represented that the power of the new dynasty came from the heavens. The process of calendar making was highly technical, independent from politics, and even open to new ideas. The political mindset behind it was very closed and dominated by the ruling class. Ferdinand Verbist, a Jesu missionary, came to China in 1659. He was known as Nan Huairen in China. The next year, he began to assist Johann Adam Shaovan Bell, another Jesu missionary known as Tang Ruowang in China, with calendar making. Tang was the head of the Royal Observatory at the time. In 1669, three years after Tang died, Verbist was appointed deputy director of the Royal Observatory by Emperor Kangxi of the Qing Dynasty. He designed new instruments for the Royal Observatory and wrote several books on astronomy. His achievements and contribution were highly regarded by Emperor Kangxi, who was interested and an expert in science. But Verbist was never willing nor able to engage with anything related to a political interpretation of astronomy. This does not mean that ordinary people in ancient China did not have their own practice and narratives on astronomy. Many sayings on weather were created and used by ancient Chinese people on the basis of their observations of nature. For example, wind or rain comes after red skies at sunset. In all popular stories in ancient China, a military strategist always knows both astronomy and geography. It is not a must-have quality for a military strategist in the Western civilizations. Zhuge Liang, commander of the army of the Shu Kingdom during the Three Kingdoms period in the 3rd century, is supposed to have created an easterly wind by praying that was rarely seen in winter, making it possible for the Shu and Easter Wu join their armies to destroy the fleet led by Cao Cao, the founder of the Wei Kingdom, with a fire. Zhuge actually forecast the wind. He has been respected as a symbol of wisdom for thousands of years. This is the most typical and famous story about the magic ability of a military strategist. The humanity aspect of astronomy features imagination about the ethics and the political order in heaven. When the monkey king was in the heavenly palace for the first time, he saw a place which looks like both the forbidden city and a temple. This is probably also the image of imperial power for ordinary people. In this imagination, the ethics and the political order in heaven are the same as those on earth. The monkey king rebels once he found he is not respected by gods there.
In the fairy tale about the Qixi festival for couples, the Weaver Girl in Heaven, as a goddess, wants to enjoy the lifestyle of people on Earth. So she came to Earth and married a poor coward. By doing this, she also broke the rules of Heaven. The stories about the Monkey King and Qixi show people's defiance against the rules imposed by imperial power in ancient China. But then the Monkey King was trapped by Buddha in the mountain for five hundred years. He was released after he became a disciple of Xuanzang, a monk in the Tang Dynasty. He protected Xuanzang on their dangerous long journey to India to get the sutras and bring them back to China. He finally became a new Buddha after he completed his mission. The Weaver Girl. And her husband were also punished. The Heaven Queen created a river between them. They become two stars watching each other at the two ends of the river, and they are only allowed to meet once a year. Magpies form a bridge on which they walk through the river to meet. The river is actually the Milky Way galaxy. In the two stories. There is defiance, punishment, and a kind of a happy ending. This is no revolution, but a bit of a deviation from the ridicule of the official norms, and they end up with some hope and happiness after being called back to order. Love is a thing that we are capable of perceiving. That transcends dimensions of time and space," said Brand, the heroine of the movie *Interstellar*. In 2014, Christopher Nolan invited physicist Kip Stephen Thorne to be an advisor on his film *Interstellar*. Thorne was one of the three winners of the Nobel Prize for Physics in 2017 for his achievements. On gravitation physics and astrophysics, many fans of science do not like the line spoken by Brand, which is not scientific. But there is no doubt, humanity and science always go side by side in astronomy. This is end of our podcast this week. Thank you to our writer Dr. Zhang Yue, editor and translator Li Jia. And copy editor Kathleen Nadi. We hope you enjoyed it, and thank you for listening. See you next week.